Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. So we have the kids with us today, and I'm excited about that. I actually love that. You guys probably don't know. I get to chat with the kids every morning. We do Lectio Divina together by text, so we spend our mornings together a little bit. I spend most Sundays with them, so when we get to do this, I just consider it special to do this part of our lives together, too. So I do also, though, have bulletins for you. If you want to grab them from the table outside, you can grab a binder, you can grab crayons, and uh, you'll have that with you here today. Uh, For the rest of us, we haven't even mentioned it yet, but today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day that the church worldwide celebrates the triumphal entry of Jesus the Christ, riding a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and hearing the shouts of the people, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, son of David. Now, as a little kid, I loved Palm Sunday. I attended a church in Long Beach, and every year on Palm Sunday, the whole congregation would leave the building and follow the choir and a big old cross down one side of the street, up the other side of the street, singing, waving palm branches and leaves. It felt like a party. That Sunday was a break between the, the discipline and the poverty of Lent and the darkness of the next week, with Good Friday and the death of Jesus just days away. So Palm Sunday would arrive, and the mood of the whole community would shift, and it was a welcome relief. Well, after everyone sang and marched around outside, the kids were sent off to class. Well, big church happened. And on those days in Sunday school, I remember being shown cardboard or flannel cutouts of smiling savior and we were encouraged to shout and praise his name and I remember joy and celebration like I was happy for Jesus like he was out there doing his thing and I was under the impression that he was happy too I mean look at him there he is So for the podcast, we're looking at a cartoon, and it is vibrant color, and the donkey's cute, and Jesus is smiling, and people are waving. We've got another one. This is just from a movie, Muted Tones, right? But, ah, Jesus is smiling, happy townspeople. That's what I remember when I think about Palm Sunday. Imagery is everything when you're a kid, and smiling Jesus left an indelible mark. At least it did on me. But this year, this week, I think I want to erase that mark. At least I want to consider the possibility that we, I'm guessing you too, may have so far interpreted the arrival of Jesus that day from only one point of view, probably the crowds. And if that's the case, 
I want to explore whether that perspective has colored how we have engaged with this text and how we might think about Jesus' entrance as a result. And I want to work this out together in case a few of us are coming to the story in the same boat, maybe with the same impressions. So let's get right to the text. This is Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When Jesus and his disciples had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell your daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Solid. To be clear, I have not been in any church that did not do justice to this text. I have only read Matthew 21, I have heard it read faithfully. Every year, every time, Jesus has been presented as a humble servant, begging for favor and kindness from a man in a nearby village. Every time I've heard this read, the disciples followed directions, asked the favor, brought the donkey and the foal to Jesus, who put them to use. The confidence that Jesus had was never in question. He was in need, and although all things under heaven and earth were subject to him from creation, he sought consent from the donkey's owner to employ them. Again, super humble, not aggressive, not exercising any privilege. And beautifully, in my opinion, Jesus did not separate the mother from the foal. I just think that's interesting. It's kind of a touching detail. And from the outset of that arrangement, Jesus assured the donkey's quick return to the owner. That's considerate, isn't it? Like, Jesus would probably be a really good neighbor. I don't think I noticed that bit as a kid. So far, what we can take from this interaction is that Jesus was a traveling man, seemingly without possessions or means, and he borrowed to get by. Central to the passage was the fact that Jesus was in need. The Lord needs them. So my question is, does this human reality ever really occur to you? Jesus, the Messiah. God incarnate, in need of a favor, in need. Divine, yes, but also at that moment, he was a man in need. And this morning, this Palm Sunday, 
That's who I want to reconsider. Jesus the man. So we learn that Jesus was in need, and then comes the explanation for the specificity of the ask that Jesus made. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The details of Christ entering Jerusalem on that day, in that way, were foretold. Jesus was living into his divine purpose to the letter. He was the true king of Israel. Zion was his to enter and rule, but he chose to do so on peaceful terms, so indicated by his mode and his demeanor. Not appearing on a beast of war, a horse, but on a beast of burden. Instructions were given and carried out according to the prophets. Jesus mounted a borrowed donkey and headed into the crowded city, fulfilling the word of God given to Isaiah. Now, if you were reading along or listening this morning, you already know what happened next. Maybe you can even quote what was shouted by some of the people who went ahead of Jesus. But don't. I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Let's not get swept up into the crowd. Now, don't get me wrong. The words are great. Part of the crowd was naming names and saying important things, and I want to be supportive of them. Remember, when I was a kid, I was out on the street. I was shouting just like them. But think about this now. On Jesus' timeline... A week later, not one person from the crowds stood behind their words for his sake. So no, I don't want to fixate on their hosannas today. Today I want to change our point of view. I don't want to metaphorically march into Jerusalem again with Jesus behind me. Not this time. Today, I want to turn around and look at Jesus and consider the man and wonder how he's humanly coping with the scene in front of him and the task before him. And for that, I want to look further into his context. In the same way that Matthew referenced Isaiah to understand the necessity and the meaning of a donkey that would be lent out 700 years after the prophet talked about it, I want to let Isaiah speak about the person of Christ, the humanity of the one who is about to bear the world's burdens in his flesh. Isaiah said this in advance about the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Despite his apparent welcome into the city, and regardless of how many hosannas were being shouted in Jerusalem on that day, Jesus... The man of sorrows, 
knew the collective heart of Israel and how its people would turn on him. Just imagine that. Furthermore, Jesus knew that entering Jerusalem marked the beginning of the end for him. Luke wrote this, showing the depth of Christ's awareness. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus was a dead man walking. Imagine that. Why then did he press on? Let's consider why. Let's consider him. People of Jerusalem, so welcoming and wonderful that Christ was compelled to continue by their great love toward him. Was Jesus so moved by the authenticity of the people's shouts that he could do nothing but respond to them with his whole self? If that were the case, then why does Luke report that Jesus looked on Jerusalem and cried, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And why later did Luke record this? As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he walked over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The crowd went ahead of Jesus shouting, save us. But theirs was not a call for the peace Jesus offered. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven, they sang. Save us, they shouted. But within weeks, their shouts would change to crucify him and give us Barabbas. Imagine that and tell me that Jesus was not keenly aware of his fate. Imagine we're in the crowd. And now let's turn around and look at him and wonder about that. Some people in the crowd were shouting Hosanna, joining the procession into the city. But Matthew also tells us that the crowd was not of one mind. There was no consensus, but a mixed mob. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. 
turmoil. Some translations say the whole city was stirred. Whichever is more accurate, Jerusalem was a hotbed and Jesus was the central figure. We know that some people jumped on the bandwagon, but the same folks were not long from rejecting Christ and turning away from him during his trial, his ordeal, his murder. See how the crowd went ahead of Jesus, shouting and waving, but also whispering and plotting. Now look back at him and consider that man of sorrows entering the city. Nate and I are preaching through Lent according to a lectionary. He explained this last week even, which is a scripture calendar. It's used universally. So it's no accident that the other reading that was pre-selected for today is a psalm. And I'm beginning to think that the psalm paints a more accurate picture of Christ's mood than the phrase triumphal entry suggests. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with sorrow, and also my throat and my belly. For my life is wasted with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength fails me because of affliction, and my bones are consumed. I have become a reproach to all my enemies and even to my neighbors, a dismay to those of my acquaintance. When they see me in the street, they avoid me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am as useless as a broken pot. For I have heard the whispering of the crowd. Fear is all around me. They put their heads together against me. They plot to take my life. But as for me, I have trusted in you, O Lord. I have said, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant, and in your loving kindness, save me. Now, this psalm was written by King David. I am not suggesting that the words are Christ's, but David is a type of Christ, a predecessor to Jesus, a great historical king whom Jesus will forever supersede. And in the same way that David in his time, had become a reproach and was in need of divine rescue. So the son of David was riding into his enemy's hands to face persecution that only God himself could squash. And so I think that David's cry speaks fairly to Christ's possible disposition. Some in the crowd were walking ahead of Jesus, waving and shouting, Save us, son of David. But imagine we turn and look. Who do we see? The somber son of David? A deeply determined man? I cannot picture his triumphant posture, but I can see him a bit teary-eyed still, broken-hearted by Jerusalem, its people, all the little chicks he longed to gather in his arms like a mother hen. 
That's the man I want us to consider. The one who's already aching and yet going forth to suffer and die for the shouters and the whisperers and the questioners and the plotters, for all of them, for all of us, and for the sake of the whole world. To me, that sounds grim. But I don't think that we're meant to sugarcoat the work of salvation accomplished by Jesus. And yes, salvation did come to humanity through Christ. Cheers to that. Hosanna. Yes, the chains which bound humanity up with sin were broken at the cross. Hosanna. Yes, Jesus did triumph over death and the grave and put his enemy under his heel. Hosanna. There absolutely is a related triumph to celebrate. At least there will be soon enough. But the brutal, days-long process was about to happen to a person. And I just think that we should remember that. I want us to know that Jesus, the man who knew what people were whispering about him, but who rode into Jerusalem anyway. That guy sounds amazing. Consider him. And maybe, instead of running ahead of him, waving and shouting today, let's get behind him. Like, really behind him, following him, making an effort to understand who he was, supporting his cause, respecting his sacrifice, carrying on his mission, relating to his humanity, and determining to love people despite people, just like he did, whatever his mood was. I believe that if we see Christ for the whole of who he was, we will be better able to be like who he was. That's the goal. If we can relate to his humanity like he relates to ours, we'll see that his taking on our human nature was a selfless and exemplary act of emptying himself, an action that points us to our purpose, which is to set ourselves aside and live for him. And I think that the most concrete means for us to encounter Christ is to meet him and to know him like that is at his table, remembering his passion, the whole story, and considering how it must have felt to knowingly, willfully lay his life down for people who despised him. I'm going to invite Dean up. We didn't chat about it, but hopefully <laughs> can play a bit. So as we prepare for communion, let's remember the work of Christ. Consider the bread, his body, given for us. Consider the cup, his life 
poured out for us. Come and receive the grace of God to be found in communion and consider Christ and how we might leave here being more like him. So I'll invite you to come up and leave out one row at a time. The bread and the wine is yours.